0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast I'll be having inspiring conversations with passionate product people. Now, I'm sure you're a passionate product person, or maybe you just play one on TV. In either case, I'd love it if you could share this episode and indeed the entire podcast with as many of your friends as possible. On tonight's episode, we'll be speaking about how our guest accidentally broke into product management, how she learned on the job, and how a passion for education led her into a completely different career, teaching computing to teenage children, how that was for her, why she gave it up and came back to product management, the lessons it taught her, and how presenting to a room full of disinterested children really does set you up for that big team meeting. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So, my guest tonight is Melanie Mackay, self described terrible sleeper, avid long distance runner, cat lover, mentor, and teacher, passionate about product and currently working as the head of consumer product for Rightmove. Apparently, a lactose intolerant cheese lover, which should mean she's well set up for the ambiguity of product management. Hi, Melanie, how are you tonight?
1: Hello, I'm good, thank you.
0: So, first things first, I've myself spent quite a lot of time on Rightmove in the past, stalking uh, houses and neighborhoods that I was looking around and seeing if I wanted to move to. But for my massive international audience, uh, who are Rightmove and what problem do they solve?
1: So Rightmove is the number one property portal in the UK. So we have properties that are for sale for rent, commercial properties, some overseas properties actually. And it's basically for people to find somewhere to live. So think of it like a marketplace, do a search, find a property that matches your criteria and then contact an estate agent or a developer through the website um problem solving helping people find somewhere to live or find an agent that wants to sell their property.
0: Yeah, I was going to say uh I've been talking to a few people recently a uh, quite kind, kind of marketplace yeah you know, working for different I uh, yeah, red bubble and stuff like that. And I've never really thought of might move as a as a marketplace but but it obviously is because you've got buyers and sellers. So do you yourself work with with both sides or you, I know that you're the head of Consumer product, but but does that mean that you work with all sides of the of of the marketplace, or do you very much focus on just one part?
1: So my main focus is what you'd say the consumer side, so the website and the apps. But if you imagine the users of those being both buyers and sellers, predominantly when you think of Right Move, as you said, people don't necessarily think of it as a marketplace. So predominantly, you are thinking of people who are looking for somewhere to live, and that probably is the first kind of port of call. But actually. As an estate agent, of course, you're looking for people who want to also sell their properties. So we have to think of them at the same time. The way we're split, I look after consumer. We then have a head of customer product. And we actually work incredibly closely because there's a crossover between the two. So if you think the customers being estate agents or new homes developers, they need to upload their properties or list them on the site or find out how those are doing. Between the two of us, there's there's some crossover. You you can't have just all customers are on one side, consumers are on the other. So we spend a lot of time talking.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask how that split happened. So for you, a customer is is very much the the business that you're working with, and a consumer is 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 the person that's trying to buy or rent a house. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, basically.
0: Right, and and you work across all different touch points for them. So for the from the consumer side, everything like you say, from web to 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 mobile and and everything else. Do you get to do a lot of user research with those people yourself, or is it very quantitative and looking at metrics uh, a lot of the time?
1: Actually, we're really lucky. We have, um, Obviously, we have the quantitative data, but we also look at a lot of qualitative side of things. We have in-house researchers, both marketing research and UX research. So whereas I don't necessarily always get to speak to the consumers or the users myself, I sometimes get to sit on, on interviews, but we have a lot of research. So we might pick, we're going to go after a certain area, let's research something more in that space or we might just want to understand the needs of our users more so we have lots of different types of studies that are done and lots of different areas of research and in usability testing as well.
0: But dealing directly with consumers uh, and obviously a very wide uh, you've got a sort of very wide user base as well right basically everyone in society at some point is going to probably be looking for somewhere to live uh, d- you must get some pretty funky feature requests or problems that, that, that come up when you're when you're talking to basically such a wide selection of people. Have there been any that really stick out that make you think, "Wow, yeah, that's that's something we're never going to do," but it's really kind of cool?
1: Do you know what? It's going to sound really boring, but actually, the majority of stuff that comes through is is really it's it's quite standard stuff. (laughs) What's what I think is probably the thing that surprised me the most when I started working at Rightmove, which is maybe interesting because I wasn't one of these people, but is the sheer number of people who really just like Rightmove, like hanging out on the website, looking at properties. (laughs) Every time I meet someone and say I work for right move they'll say i've got the app or that's what i spend my evenings doing
0: and stalking houses right
1: exactly but i i was never one of those people at all so i found it really interesting because i'd made an assumption i guess that people used it to find properties and then went again i hadn't realized how many people really do just like seeing what's going on nearby to my my dream feature would be to be able to take a picture of a house and immediately See on my screen how much was it most recently sold for, or how much is it for sale for straight away.
0: So, given that you're the head of consumer product and it's your dream feature, I'm assuming that's somewhere on the backlog.
1: Well, we did do a hackathon a couple of years ago where we talked about it um, and <laughs> had a few ideas about it. I think the problem is that most people don't do it, and and for me, well, you mentioned my love of running. It's the kind of thing I do from the middle of the countryside. I want to just whip <laughs> my phone out and take a picture of this house I've seen. Which, yeah, I don't think is most people's use case.
0: Yeah, I think you'd probably get put on some kind of list if you kept doing that as well, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And and how big's your team uh, at Move that's looking after the consumer stuff?
1: Directly, I've got five product owners that I work with who work with their dev teams. And then there's, I'm going to say it as a dotted line, it's probably not the way we'd describe it internally, but it's easier a way to explain. There are, where I said before, there's this crossover between customer and consumer. There are teams who are maybe, more heavily customer focused but to make changes on the consumer side. So across all the different teams there's 12 different teams building things that are customer and consumer related. I directly influence one set and then from the sidelines influence the others and and the same in reverse from the other head of product.
0: So obviously you say you've got the product owners working with the engineering teams and and getting the stuff built. Are you very Much in an oversight role then, or do you get involved in a lot of day-to-day stuff as well? What's your zoom level? So
1: mostly, it's I guess it is more the longer-term strategy, working with the senior management team in terms of take the business OKRs. What does that look like as a strategy for us as a as a product team and and an engineering team? I am maybe slightly a control freak, uh, (laughs) as I think most people who work in product probably are, and I do like some of the detail, but I don't. I don't, you know, write the stories, work with the dev teams in terms of sprint planning or anything like that. I will stick my nose in, go to reviews, have an opinion, but I try as much as I can to not be too hands on. I think it's really important the product owners own their own OKRs, their own roadmaps, and I set the the boundaries and the guidelines to work within, not the delivery that they need to do.
0: I was going to ask actually because your your background and your your degree was in computing, so you've obviously got a very technical background. Do you ever feel tempted to just go make a quick change, quick pull request?
1: No, actually, no. The thing that I found useful about it, so so I actually fell into product straight out of university. So I never actually made that much use of my computing degree, (laughs) apart from when I was teaching, and I did. I taught um, ICT and computing, and I did teach Java to A level students. But actually, I found it helpful to be able to have conversations with people, but not so much. Kind of, do I want to build something myself? Having said that, I did a little bit of teaching of code to an internal group at TFL, which was quite fun, of just real basics. And I had wanted to use the last hackathon we did to build an app myself, but ended up having to go into my day job and not do the hackathon, sadly. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I don't think I'm that good at coding, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, I was I was a developer for a number of years, and and I think it's probably safer for everyone in, involved that that I'm not anymore. But uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's always I'm always curious, I'm always interested, but but I think at the same time, it's, it's probably worth the handcuffs just to to, to keep me away from it. <laughs> um. So, so what made you? I mean, you say you fell into product management, and uh, yeah, I see basically every single job you've had apart from the teaching, which we'll talk about in a minute. But. Every single job you've had has been in product management in and around. So what what made you, did you just fall into a job and go with it? Or was that something that you looked at on the way out of uni and thought, yeah, that's for me?
1: I mean, really, it was. I just fell into it. A, a friend of a friend, uh, I needed a job. I, I Just before I graduated, I started looking. A friend of a friend said, I have a, I can't even remember what it was, something, something like basically up, updating content on a site. Do you want it? I was like, absolutely. I'll take any job. They had, there was a product manager there who left a few months after I started. And the conversation was kind of, you know, about the internet and computers. <laughs> what, would you know, what do you think? And at the time, although it was the job title, I don't think I had a job description, actually. I'm, I'm sure I didn't. But I understood the details of, okay, we've got users of this website and I need to figure out how best to get them to contact hotels, which is what we did. And we have this system that we upload hotel content into and we need to make that better. So I kind of pieced together, okay, so I need to work all these things out. And it and it went from there. And it was probably only really over that job and the next one where I started to really understand what, what job I'd landed myself in. And thankfully, happily, it kind of suits the things that I would say are my strengths. <laughs> so
0: I kind of went with it. Yeah, I was gonna ask, I mean, back in what 2005 or so? Yeah. It's not like there was a lot of, probably a lot of great content out there, not like all the the product schools and and, and other organizations that you have these days, all the different learning opportunities, you know, inspired, I think even came out after that, you know, which is obviously the classic. So did you literally do it all learning on the job and just try to work out what what to do and, you know, making mistakes and learning from that? Or were there any resources that you could use at that time that that, that helped you along the way or any mentors or anyone else that could help you along?
1: I really did just (laughs) learn on the job, kind of understood the point of what I was trying to achieve and then i think my as i went into my second job and there was a, a bigger group and the debt development team was in house which it hadn't been at the previous company i started to get a better sense again and there were people who hadn't been doing that job you know hadn't been doing a product job by that name but did understand the point of what i was supposed to be doing and and that's where i started to then meet other people who worked in products i'd moved i was working in finance in the city and i started to meet other people and other product managers and kind of start to compare notes and go Well, I hadn't thought about doing it that way. I didn't realize that was a technique. And I suppose the thing that's quite nice in a way is that kind of, that beginning of self-taught learning way, when you then find something, a resource that then kind of tells you you've been doing it the right way, you think, oh, thank God, (laughs) I I guessed in the right direction. And, but yeah, no, not, not what, what we have now.
0: I think people on this podcast before have described it as, as, you know, making them feel really good that they've. They can look at something which is effectively theoretical on a page because ultimately, you know, a book's a book, right? And that it means so much more to them as well because they've they've seen that because they've done that. So it kind of beds it in a bit more, which is which is obviously really good. But I, yeah, I've always been a massive fan of or proponent of School of Hard Knocks, but that's that's where I that's the way I came up as well. So I guess you know we're probably someone else who came up with a very structured sort of you know MBA and product degree or whatever that is maybe they would think different but for me it's always been important to just just make mistakes and learn
1: i think it comes with an interesting challenge actually i am i i feel in some ways if you're starting out now or or you you're relatively new to it actually the abundance of resources and and information that's out there probably it it can almost stifle you because you start to go well should i be doing it the way this book says or this book or this person and this person says they they this is the best way to present it is it whereas when there's nothing there you just kind of have to figure it out, yeah. And and there's definitely, in a way, I think you can't get it wrong if there isn't already a standard. Whereas now <laughs> there's a standard set you you're aware of it, and I think that starts to become a challenge, which is a good thing and a bad thing.
0: No, I I do completely agree. But talking about learning, you also then after a few years took a I, I hesitate to say break because it sounds pretty stressful and in many ways terrifying. But but you 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 took a different Direction got a PGCE, a teaching qualification, uh, and then started teaching, as you said, ICT in a in a secondary school to teenagers. Yeah. So first things first, what made you pivot in that direction?
1: So I was a challenging student, particularly in secondary school. I moved around a lot as a as a child and was constantly the new kid. But I liked school. I liked learning. And it had always been something I'd considered, would I want to, could I be a teacher? Would I want to be? And when I was younger, I mean, to be fair, I wasn't that old when I decided to do it. But when I was in my early 20s, I thought, there's no way I could handle a kid like me. I wouldn't know what to do with them. And it would be a terrible mistake. And then as I got a bit older, I thought, well, I'm kind of going in a direction with this career now. If, I, if I'm if i going to do this, I'm going to try out teaching, I kind of have to do it now, or not at all. So I thought, well why not? Why not give it a go? Why not? Why not see? I, I, I like the idea of trying things out and not just kind of writing them off. So went and applied and got, got onto the course and yeah, went went down that interesting path.
0: No, I mean, it sounds really, uh, it's very different. And, and again, I'm not 100% sure that I'd be any good at that because, you know, it's, it's challenging enough with small children that at least still somewhat respect you. Whereas when it comes to, teenagers I'm always assuming that they'll be just as bad as, as yeah as I was at, at, at secondary school and, and so forth so how long how long did you do that for? Uh,
1: so I did my full PTC and then which is a year and then I did an NQT so I did I was teaching for about two and a half years in total.
0: And that was purely ICT and and programming type stuff or did you also bring some product management lessons and kind of career guidance into these people by the back door?
1: There was an well, I, so it was ICT and computing, and then I also taught business B So actually, there was an element of not so much product, although probably some of the elements of product within that. And I used to have a lot of fun conversations, challenging conversations with the kids who were like, "When am I ever going to use this again?" or "What what will I ever <laughs> do?" But because I'd, it was actually a, a bonus for me because I'd worked not in teaching. I was able to say, "Well." When I did what you're doing, which was actually another reason why I wanted to leave, but when I did what you were doing at school, this is what it saw me through to. So, this is the kind of job I did before I came into teaching. And that was quite a helpful conversation, actually.
0: And was that a mixed school or was it single gender or, or grammar or secondary? What, what sort of school was that?
1: So, during my teacher training, I was in a mixed school in New Cross. And then I was at a single sex school in Beckenham in South East London. Neither selective. But one single sex, which (laughs) comes with its own set of
0: challenges. (laughs) Why did you decide to then stop doing that and and go back into product management?
1: I suppose a couple of things on the teaching level. I I found it frustrating that I wasn't able to make changes in the way that I could in in a product role or or actually in most roles outside of something like education. So the curriculum was incredibly prescriptive and i to be honest arrogantly i suppose i didn't necessarily agree with some of the stuff we were teaching or the ways we were teaching them i found it frustrating that instead of an english lesson where you would need to write an essay that being where you used word that i would spend 12 weeks teaching children how to use word or you know a, a, a lesson in, in excel or spreadsheets i suppose rather than excel but using excel and teaching them how to print showing their formulas and then thinking do you, I mean how often do you ever do that <laughs> as an adult and so those elements were well I could have conversations with them about what they might do outside of school from what they were learning those ones were frustrating and I, I think I found being the tiniest fish in the biggest pond just too, too difficult and and But then on the other side, I just, to be honest, I, m- I missed what I'd done before. I missed some of the freedom of that t- the type of role where you're not tied to school hours and holidays, but also just the freedom of being able to go, let's investigate that more, that problem more. Let's go more after that and not be told, well, you can't have a conversation about that because your next lesson must be about this. It just didn't suit my, I think it didn't suit my personality. I did enjoy, I did actually enjoy the teaching element and I really missed the kids when I left. But yeah, it just, it didn't it didn't suit, I think.
0: But is there anything from teaching that you then brought back into product management and that you feel helped you be a more effective product manager?
1: Yeah, it means so much so that I would recommend if people can do anything like working with kids uh, I, or doing any kind of mentoring, anything like that, I would recommend it. The the two things, the the most obvious one was if you can stand up in front of a room of 30 children who do not care at all about what you're <laughs> talking about, or to be fair, 30 adults when you're teaching helping teach the teachers something for for an evening session if you can do that then you can stand up in front of a group of people who work at the same company as you, as you and talk about a topic so it definitely helped with the kind of just presenting and talking but the biggest thing i think was particularly in the schools i was in you had a real mix so you had students who were lower ability struggled more, you know, really weren't engaged in what you were teaching, right up to the kids who would go home and say, Oh miss, I've just created a game on Game Maker with everything you've ever told us needed to be there and they know it better than you do and you think, oh, what am I gonna do? And you've got them all in one room. So you need to be able to break down what you're explaining to every ability so they can all follow. So there's the all the different audiences in one go, but also just that that task of how do I get somebody to follow what I'm saying in the best format for them and thinking about the audience that you're talking to? And I, I found that incredibly helpful uh, when I came back to products and over the last few years.
0: Yeah, I think there's so much storytelling involved in product, especially as you go up through the ranks, uh, for want of a better word, that actually sounds really useful. And and yeah, just getting to that that point where you can get to the, the real heart of the message because I imagine that that's the most effective way is. Yeah, not not wasting any time with fluff around the edge because no one's going to be listening to that anyway.
1: I think it's partly the no the fluff no fluff around the edge, but also actually thinking about the different approach to take. So you know what what one person understands isn't what another person understands, and actually in one of the things that you know when you had the so for example the the really able kids rather than always just giving them more to do, you might say why don't you help another student in the class, but you can't touch their mouse and you can't touch their keyboard. And actually seeing them have to learn, how do I explain this in a way that they actually understand so they can do it when I walk away again? It's that different approach as well as sometimes the direct, sometimes it is, like you say, the storytelling that goes with it, that actually the fluff works because that's how they follow you.
0: Different strokes for different folks. Exactly. So the first time we connected was after you did a presentation at, I believe, ProductCon 2019, back when we had ProductCons. Well, I think we still have product cons but i went back when we had in-person product cons but you did a talk called working with ux in product which was a great talk did you get a lot of feedback after that a lot of interest and and, and people coming to you for more or, or was that very much a kind of one and done and back to your day job after that
1: i think it's a bit of a combination actually the strangest point of that whole thing was when two of my ex-colleagues i hadn't seen for several years walked up and went oh we saw you were talking so we came to the event i was like you don't even work in product. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was great, actually. I, I met a lot of people at that. I met loads of people, had loads of really good conversations. And off the back of that, a few different people got in touch, either to ask me just for some advice of, you know, how would you approach this? Or can you speak to one of our teams? Will you come and do a talk in this place? Or inviting me to different talks and stuff like that. The, the main thing for me has always been, I really do like product. So actually for me those events where you get to talk to people about their different approaches and how would they have done something or do they have a UX team and if they don't how might they do something in that example I've always really I love them for for that reason going to them and hearing people as much as standing up and telling my story yeah I think I think it's fun.
0: So were you very comfortable going on stage and and doing that kind of speaking in front of a big crowd is that something that you'd done before or was that something you really had to to, to wing uh, as you as you got into it
1: no i mean that was my first talking at a conference type event i'd spoken at product school before but and a, a friend of or an ex-colleague of mine had said you know would you come and do, talk at product school and i'd kind of decided i wanted to set myself the challenge of you know yes i'm super interested in this and i and i and i like the topic so why don't i go and try and do a talk push myself to push myself out of my comfort zone so Standing up on that stage was absolutely terrifying. And there was a bit of a, a hoo-ha, I think, to begin with any anyway, which made me more nervous. And of course, you see other people's presentations and I'm like, oh, God, I've got really plain slides. I prefer to kind of a couple of words and maybe a few diagrams rather than loads and loads of, of content. And I see other people's things and think, oh, no, everyone's got videos and I've only done something simple and maybe I've done it the wrong way. So, no, I was absolutely terrified. <laughs>
0: Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I I completely get you, and and for me, even doing web presentations can be pretty hairy from time to time, uh, and it, and that's when you can turn people's faces off if you want to, so you can't even see them looking at you. But it's still there's just something about it, which is why I do in podcasts, so I can just yeah, it's just me and you, no one else is listening, right?
1: <laughs> it's a bit easier. I did do a conference. uh I was going to say last year, but last year was the write off, so the year before that, <laughs> I went and um, spoke at an event, and the I hadn't expected it but the lights were so bright I genuinely couldn't see people <laughs> but actually I found that really put me off because mm. I actually I'd quite like to at least connect with one person's eyes and it yeah. just threw me so much I think I spent the first few minutes just going I can't see anything I don't know what's happening.
0: Yeah and the thing with stage lights as well is they can get pretty hot as well so you have to make sure that you're uh, wearing <laughs> the right colour clothes otherwise you'll uh, you, you, you'll end up looking pretty uh, pretty flustered I guess. Yeah. But you also came up with a a new approach to the the classic product management three piece Venn diagram understanding users understanding goals understanding what's possible and then the bit in the middle understanding our problems and opportunities so so where did that come from is that something that you came to in a dream was that something that you worked on and uh, you've know, used internally and, and and is that something that got a lot of good feedback from the people you presented it to
1: yeah so starting with the last question first i have to say the um, the moment where all these cameras suddenly appeared and people started taking pictures of that that i thought oh i've said something useful <laughs> i've said something useful here um yeah it's it's something that it didn't come to me in a dream it it was just it was it's over time trying to explain to people what from my perspective the the standard kind of users tech business it it's it was too rigid and i think it didn't really answer what you were trying to cover from those areas and it became it was becoming like a tick list oh well yeah I've looked at the users and technology allows me to do this and it just didn't sit with me as to what you're actually trying to find out with those areas and what you need to know and I think it's not expansive enough so it came through conversations with colleagues and and saying to them no you know it's not just who are your users what do they like what do they dislike find out more about them and I think where I've i say what's possible it's not just what's technically possible but what will the what will your business allow you to do in terms of your you know your own principles or your visions or your the mission that you have and and so something's technically possible doesn't mean that it's actually that viable for any for another reason so so really i see it as as finding the different parts of the the puzzle and the, and the boundaries that you're working within and and i felt like the the kind of the usual venn diagram was was too rigid and too small it needed to be expanded out but it it just came i think i would say just over over time and (laughs) and talking about it and but now yeah i do still use it internally we talk about it a lot and going into a new area at the moment where i'm where i'm working we're doing the same thing so okay well these are the different pieces we need to consider and this is what comes out at the end so i've i you know i'm a fan of it
0: (laughs) So, have you uh, patented that already? Is that is that something that you uh, you can trademark or whatever else to to protect it, or is that your gift to the uh, product community?
1: It's never even crossed my mind that I would patent pay it or <laughs> trademark it, so it can be my gift to the product community. But no, I think I mean in the you know the best thing about product, actually, I think, and and things like talking to different people is hearing someone go, "Oh, well, actually, I do it this way," being like, oh, "Actually, that's really interesting. Maybe I'll do that too." I'm I'm always going to be up for people kind of sharing ideas and using mine, making them better.
0: Absolutely. But one thing we also spoke about before this call was, for want of a better word, variability of product practices, which very much touches on what you just said, and the way that all these different companies are doing product in very different ways and have different types of people doing different spins on the same job. Some of them probably not even really product positions, but just with product in the name. Now you've worked in quite a few companies in your career, uh, all around product. So, what's the worst anti-pattern? The worst kind of example of of product thinking that you've either seen or or heard of? You can pretend to have heard of it if you don't want to sort of shame anyone you've actually worked with.
1: It's such an it's such an obvious answer, I think. So maybe too simple, but the the most obvious one to me is where you call it product, but literally you're just there to deliver what somebody else tells you to deliver which is such, I know that's so standard, but the number of places that you talk to or people that you meet who say they work in products, but actually someone tells them to very specifically deliver this. You can deliver it in two week chunks, <laughs> but you're delivering this very specific thing at the end of it. You must achieve this very specific goal and this is the exact team size you have. Not only is that not agile, but it's not product thinking. But I think that's the number of people who you speak to who don't, go back to why. Why are we doing this piece of work? What's our motivation? What are our problems and opportunities? Where's this come from? What does the competitive landscape look like? All All these different questions don't get asked. And everybody is guilty, myself included, of sometimes being asked to do something and just kind of going, yeah, there's a reason why we need to do this. We'll do it. And not stopping for a second and going, why? And it's such a simple question that we all talk about and know we probably should do. But I don't think I've met any organization who always does that, to be honest.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd probably add one piece of fuel to the fire on that one and say that when you're working, for example, B2B and have a big list of powerful clients that are maybe punching a bit above above or at the same level as their weight and kind of bossing you around a bit, then then that can exacerbate that problem as well because it's not just that you've got, say, your CEO doing – the the thinking for you, but you've also got the client telling the CEO what they want or you know stuff like that, which can obviously make it even more of a challenge. And you're really just stack ranking things then in the order of client importance, which feels like a bit of a miss.
1: Yeah, agreed. And having had somebody in a previous role phone me and say, "I want you to build this thing," and it was, "I want you to copy this website essentially uh, and build it for our problem." In fact, they didn't say problem. I want you to just build a version of this website. And and I I to be honest with you, I just didn't understand. I didn't, not only did I not want to do it, because I didn't think it was the right thing. So I, I genuinely didn't understand why. So it's like, I just kept saying, why? Not that obtusely, but why? <laughs> what do you, What do you want? And, and in the end, I managed to get to how we know if what we've done has worked. What's the what? You know, essentially, what outcome are you trying to achieve? But I said it probably about four different ways. And when they <laughs> kind of said, Oh well, I want you know, this is what we're trying to get to. This is what this is how we know this has worked actually really all they needed was someone to make was hire somebody to make some phone calls for a couple of months. You just, you didn't need a website. That was painful. And you know, they were paying. So I could have just gone, okay, yeah, we'll just build that for you. And and that was a tough conversation for sure. (laughs) Um, I think probably for both of us, I did not think this guy enjoyed having a conversation with me (laughs) at all. And
0: That's how we earn our corn, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. The other thing I think is, is the, there's the not showing product in the way that you're set up but i think there's also the just some really fascinating job titles (laughs) or standard job titles where someone says they're the chief product owner of something but then when you dig into it a bit more they're the equivalent of what in another company would be a product owner not that there's anything wrong with those things but they're very different or the expansiveness of a role or I think I saw a job job advertised actually at the end of last year. I won't say who it was for, but it said chief product owner of something. And I thought that doesn't sound like something a chief product owner would would be doing, or do you mean chief product officer or what's your setup? And to be honest with you, I couldn't work out what their setup was or what the role was, but I'm pretty sure that I'm currently hiring for a product owner role that's the same thing.
0: I uh, did see on a slight slight but related tangent, I did see a a post the other day about someone who was wondering how they could explain Scrum to the, their head of Agile. And so, well, if your head of Agile doesn't know what Scrum is, then, you know, not not saying you should use Scrum, but the head of Agile should probably, whatever that title actually is, is or means, but they should probably know about Scrum, right? You know, so. <laughs> you know, they, at least what it is or, you know, why, the, why they should or shouldn't use it. So that felt like that's... I th- I think that what we're seeing is because there's not like a formal career path from sort of bottom to top so to speak then maybe some level of grade inflation or job title inflation just to make people feel good about themselves if they've been in a job for a while or something like that i don't know yeah i
1: agree i think there's an element of that i also think people aren't 100 percent sure i think we've gone through this um, period of time where people have gone wait product is a thing that's helpful and it's been around for a long time obviously but product's helpful and it's useful and actually there's some real successes that can come out of this so we should implement it but then when they need to scale it 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 becomes more difficult because if you've already given everybody the more senior job title (laughs) as as an (laughs) example and then you need to scale it what do you make everybody else and do you scale up or do you split products and go wider but then how do you split that and the kind of the, the thinking behind the strategic versus tactical or do you make one person responsible for delivery and not? Or do you give someone more ownership? Or how that split works, I think that's where you start to get some really strange titles or descriptions of jobs.
0: What's the thing you love most about product management?
1: I don't know if this is just a really obvious answer again, but <laughs> I really, I genuinely really like in, I, I like taking things apart and understanding the, the different parts and then putting it back together and understand and, and, and making something better off the back of it. And that can be taking something apart that basically doesn't exist and then building something better. Obviously that could look more successful on paper because you've, you've built something from not very, very much, but it's the different parts. And for me, I'm now giving you about four different answers, I realise, but it's, it's the breaking it apart and not always being the specialist, which can make you very uncomfortable, but I don't have to know all of these different parts. But what I do need to know is what the parts are that need to be there, work with the right people to get the answers if I don't know them, and then be able to ask the right questions, think of things in the right way and picture things in the right way to put them back together and understand that that isn't just me. I think I feel really strongly that collective work is what makes a better product but i'm there to help facilitate that and draw that out of people and and try not to be too much of a control freak but yeah it's that it's that (laughs) breaking apart putting back together but with with expertise around me and people around me i'd say
0: and try not to leave a spare spring on the floor as well
1: (laughs) yeah what's that thing we forgot to put back in
0: (laughs) oh that's just our business model damn it
1: oops (laughs) we built something else it's fine
0: (laughs) and if you Imagine, for example, that you were back in back in school uh, when you were teaching, not at actual school yourself, and you had to give some advice to a keen as a bean student who wanted to get into product management when they were growing up. What advice would you give that student to kind of set them on their way to success?
1: I um have been into schools actually and spoken to some kids about this. Interestingly, their main question was how much do you get paid if you work for a job <laughs> rather than anything else to do with it.
0: Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah.
1: I, I wasn't I don't know why I was ill prepared for that to be the first question that came out of anyone's <laughs> mouth, but um, it, it it did it did surprise me a little bit. I think I would what would I suggest to them? I, I think I would suggest if somebody tries to get into product if someone was thinking about getting into it from school age, I would say look at the First of all, if you're going to study, so if you're going to go to university because you think that's the right thing f- for you, maybe do something that's slightly related to the field that you want to work in. So assuming it's technology and you're not kind of talking a physical product, whether it's computing like I did or whether it's something that's slightly less technical but has a, a technology uh, bent to it, I think that's that's useful. Having said that, I don't think you need to go to university. So actually, if you want to do apprenticeships or you want to just start small, that I think that works too. I think I would try as, as early as possible to get involved in understanding <laughs> why decisions are being made. So why is the business doing what they're doing? So even if you go in, I worked in a call centre when I was at university, even if you're going in at a call centre level, if you can have those conversations of, you know, why do we make the decision we make or we're following this script? What's the reason for it? It's the understanding, the thinking behind something that's happening that I think then allows you to be able to go down that, that route further. And, and now, because there's such a wealth of information out there, I'd absolutely be saying, go and go and read all the books you can to understand the, the theory behind this from different angles, from different people's points of views, read the blog posts. I often speak to people. People will get in touch on LinkedIn or will have seen me talk at something or, or, or whatever. And We have this very long reading list that we have, that we share internally. And actually, to be honest, I add very little to it. One of the product owners in my team, Matt, is... Just super keen, reads loads of stuff. He often adds more posts to it, but the, the whole department adds to it. And I often share with people like, "Here's a 30 blog, blog post you should read to get a better understanding of it." So yeah, I think it would be start questioning or starting to understand why things happen in the way they happen.
0: One thing I will say is I worked in a call center for two years after dropping out of university, and um, I think my my feeling is that there was no why in the call center (laughs) it was the why was because they said so i mean that
1: that's true i wonder i wonder how realistic it is that had i turned around while trying to (laughs) phone people to ask them to give more money to charity which is what i was doing if i turned around and asked them why they built the system they did or or anything like that in that way would they have ever answered me so maybe i'm being ambitious in people (laughs) in in people doing that
0: Mm, you can always ask so you mentioned linkedin is that the best place for people to find you if they want to have a chat after this or are there other places that they can they can reach out
1: uh, yeah, I'd say LinkedIn is probably best. I am on Twitter, but I have to admit my majority of my tweets are something to do with running. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: and then occasionally I'll have a tiny little flurry of uh, something product related, and then I, I inevitably fall back to whatever race it is I'm following online or whatever stupid thing I've signed up to. To next, so LinkedIn tends to be less running related and more actually uh, professional work related.
0: Well, I guess they can they can take their choice. Well, that's been a fantastic chat and obviously journey through through your career and some of the things that make you tick. So thanks very much for spending the time. Let's keep in touch. Maybe we'll have a race one day when we're allowed to run in public again. And uh, yeah, for, for now, thanks very much.
1: Yep, yeah, sounds good. Definitely up for a race. And no, thank you for having me. It's been great.
0: As ever, thanks for listening. In the spirit of this episode, I hope you found it educational. If you did find this episode interesting, I'd love it if you could... Hop on over to the podcast app of your choice or to onenightinproduct.com, that's night with a K, and check out some of our other inspiring conversations with passionate product people. There really is something there for everyone, and since you're not everyone, I'd also love it if you could share it with everyone.